might take these glasses off. They're sort of for long distance and also to make me look more sophisticated. So I think you all agree I do. I'll put them here. Uh, I entitled today's sermon, Built to Last. I'm not really sure why. It just seems to be a term that rolls off the tongue. And obviously I'm talking today about mental health. And I have, for a long period of time, over probably years, decades, really struggled in many ways to understand truly what, I guess, some of the initial proclivities that I have when I hear of someone who might be struggling with anxious, uh, sorry, anxiety or depression or anything like that. And many times I thought, oh, maybe I could preach a sermon on this or that, but I just felt like I wasn't really truly understanding the issue. And I felt at times that I didn't really have a heart of love over it either. Like sometimes I felt perhaps a bit judgmental. Other times I may have even felt overwhelmed myself, but some of the uh, anxiety that I would often struggle with. Anyway, long story short, over the last few years, I've been able to think more deeply about this and actually befriend, who I've talked about many times now, two psychologists, James and Leanne, who really value their friendship and value their expertise in this area. And so really the sermon is going to be the expression of that. I'm not a psychologist. I've been hanging out with psychologists. I'm not a doctor. Uh, I'm just a lumberjack, really, Uh, and that's what I see myself oftentimes at heart. And yet, at the same time, I have had many experiences. I've been in the Word my whole life, and so I pray that this sermon will be a sermon that is truthful. I literally mean that as full of truth, full of God's truth, and it will really speak to you. And it's been so cool, so great to have, first of all, Kat, thank you, I know that must have taken some bravery to stand up and share that verse. And I now feel bad because I'm actually using an aeroplane example and you just express your anxiety about flight. Uh, I wanted to thank Camille also because, Camille, you've actually inspired me with your vulnerability and your weakness in front of us. It is a precious gift you have given to us as a church. And I've obviously talked a little bit to Camille before this sermon. Uh, And I want to just, I guess, speak to many people who really do struggle with this and maybe some of you who we don't even know struggle with it. And this sermon, I guess, is for you. Uh, But first, before we do that, I thought we would do a double IRE. Does anyone know what a double IRE is? It is an interactive in-room exercise. And we're going to have three rounds. So what I need is I need three family representatives and I need three representatives for the representatives to get their handy smart device out and find the timer, the timer app, and set the timer app for 10 seconds. So Addy's already on his feet. Awesome. Come on, Addy. Out you come. Maybe Camille can come out and be your representative of representatives. Maybe Paxton. He's always good for a bit of a uh, double IRE. We might get four, actually. We'll get four all together. Kaya. Awesome. Who's your representative? Your mum or your dad, maybe, can do the timer. So since you're up here first, Kaya, you can pick your set of weights here. Now, just to let everyone know, these are small weights. These are not my weights, okay? These are, <laughs> these are my girls' weights. All right, but you can pick whichever you want. What would you like there? Go, based, go on colour. Look, look, they're so pretty, aren't they, the pink? They're definitely not mine, okay? So grab two of them. We're going to give Addy these ones here. <laughs> I got him to try them out before. Now, before we do this, do you have any pre-existing medical conditions we should know about? Would you sign this waiver? No, you don't have to sign it. Uh, 
Yeah, we'll still do the timer. So, so you're going to time Kaya for a 10 seconds, right? So the way it's going to work. Now, we need one more. We need one more person. Come on, we need three people. Come on, Pax, bring it out, bring it out. Maybe uh, Taylor can time for Paxton. So it's really simple, guys, really simple. What we're going to do now, just to make sure you've got the technique properly, we're going to do arm curls. We're going to hold them down like this, facing forward, and we're just going to come up like that. Can you do that? Yep, just up and then down, up and down. And so what your timer people are going to do is they're going to hit the timer for 10 seconds. You're going to see how many you can do in 10 seconds without ripping any muscles or anything, okay? Because I don't want to get sued today. don't want to be talking to a lawyer after this. Maybe I should have done a risk management plan, perhaps. So, so maybe stand out here. Um, Addy, do you want to stand out here? And we'll stand around, just so everyone can see you okay. All right, we're ready? You ready, Addy? 10 seconds. So we can do a trial run. All right, we'll do a quick trial run. Do you want to stand up, mate? Have you got your... Uh, oh, yeah. Well, you can do it sitting down if you want. Uh, so we've got 10 seconds. You're ready to go there, Taylor. Tim's ready to go. Have, who's timing? Ben's timing, Addy. All right, so let's stand up. Ready? I'm going to count down. Go three, two, one, then start. All right? Three, two, one, go. And you've got to count their things too. Did you know that? Their reps. Oh, awesome. All right, good. So how many do you have? Did you someone count? Oh, this good thing is a trial run then. So Mike, hey, Addy, can you stand up now? Because you'll actually be able to do more when you stand up. Yeah, believe it or not. That's right. Okay. All right. You want to change yours? Why do you want to change yours? <laughs> well, packs the record. That's fine. All right. Are we ready? We'll do it. This time we're going to count. Okay. So this time we're going to count. So on three, everyone, all the time is ready. Oh, yeah. Woo. Oh, yeah. All right. Three, two, one. Let's go. Workout music. Bit of striper. Yeah. Oh, look at Addy go. That is good, man. That's amazing. All right, stop. Okay, 12. No, I did 13. Okay, 13. That'll do 13. So can you... What can I do? I did 14. 14. All right, so 14, 13, and Addy... Smashed eight. Well done. All right, so let's put them back down. She had tiny Oh, so I hear some complaints from the audience that the weights are different sizes. But these are just the burdens that they have to carry. So Addy happens to have heavier ones. Kai's are slightly lighter, but pretty. They're pink. And, and, and Paxton's are blue. So you're going to get a chance later on. So, all right, so go back. That was round one. Well done, everyone. So we're going to try and do a little bit better. You can, thanks. You guys can grab a seat now. So throughout the sermon, there's going to be another two rounds, all right? Another two rounds. So I just want you to think about these weights. And yeah, it is a little bit unfair, isn't it? I mean, how, what are these ones? Three kilos. These ones are one kilo, and these are two kilos. So it's like, seems hardly fair. Why should Addy get a bigger burden than anyone else? Why should... Oh, you got to, no, no, hold it. Hold it to the end. Not yet. We're building up. You probably already know. <laughs> so I want to describe a long-haul flight. Sorry, Kat. <laughs> um, but it's actually from the pilot's perspective, not the passenger. So it's the pilot in this case that actually begins to have these symptoms. Now, this pilot, he's, he's the kind of person you'd want in your company. He, you, you'd want him on your team. You'd want him as a pilot, if possible. He's one of our greatest pilots that's, that we've ever known in Australia. He's an instructor. He's a captain of the aircraft. He's innovative. He's capable. And, but somewhere across the Pacific on a long-haul flight, 
he suddenly begins to feel this impending sense of dread and he can't shake it no matter what he does. The more he thinks about it, the more he tries to fight it, the worse it worse it gets. And he thinks his heart's starting to thump and he starts to have trouble breathing and he feels like I'm just going mad. He feels like he's starting to lose control. He's sweating like anything. And then he begins to feel dizzy and lightheaded. And then the next thing, he passes out and the aircraft begins to dive towards the ocean. This is a true story. I'm not making this up. And then he suddenly recovers in a flat out dive and managed to bring it back up to level flight and keep going. And now he's actually struggled with this kind of thing for 17 years. And this is how he describes it. He said, my head seemed to be getting heavy. Then I had a horrible feeling that I didn't know who I was or what I was doing. Then I began to struggle with my breathing. The attack lasted a minute or so, and I was in a peculiar condition of half consciousness. Um, does anyone know what's happening to this pilot? Camille does. Severe panic disorder. Severe panic disorder. So what do you think of this pilot? Would you want him flying your plane, cat? Really? <laughs> <laughs> so the reason I'm going to bring out a couple of these scenarios is because I want to actually elevate and bring to the surface some of the questions that I've struggled with around mental health. So this is the first one. This pilot, this pilot is actually an awesome pilot. And one of the first questions, I guess, that I want to bring out is what happens if we, use a fancy term, pathologize weakness or pathologize mental health? Does anyone know who's on our old $20 bill? Charles Kingsford Smith. Charles Kingsford Smith. Smithy, our, one of our greatest aviators. You fly into Sydney. Which airport do you fly into? Kingsford Smith. 34 and a half hours from Hawaii to, sorry, from America to Hawaii in the Southern Cross. And he had this whole thing going on, which is this question, an old question, which is, am I a squib? Has anyone heard that word before? It literally means, am I worthless? He struggled with mental health. He didn't know it. He used to think maybe it's carbon monoxide, maybe it's sunstroke. He was actually quite open about it. People begin to accuse him of being drunk. And actually, he was never drunk. He would, he would take a lot of time to prepare himself physically, fitness stuff, getting good sleep, all that kind of stuff. But he kept struggling with this panic disorder. It just kept coming back for 17 years. But before I asked, would you want this person to fly as a pilot? And we said no straight away. But do you see what we've done there? We've assumed that this thing is so debilitating that he has now lost his sense of identity as a pilot. Actually, what has happened is we have said his mental health is now his identity. But for 17 years, he accomplished things that no one else had, despite of this severe panic disorder. So this is the first question, I guess, that really came up to me. And here's a, which is this idea of pathologizing the weakness. And I'll explain what I mean in a minute. But here's an old picture. Do you see what that's called up there? See what he's called? The conqueror of the air. That's not something you would normally associate with someone with severe panic disorder or some sort of anxiety which, by the way, often connects itself to depression and obsessive compulsive stuff. Often these things are related. They're all interacting. So that's the first thing I struggle with is because if we said to Smithy, mate, we're going to have to medicate you, and I'm not, believe me, I'm not, medications have their place, but this is now who you are, and by the way, you can't fly anymore. We may have never even heard of this guy. 
So this is the first, this is the first side of the, the tension, the first side of the coin. But there's a, there's a, and, and by pathologize, I mean just make that, the, the, the illness their identity. That's all they are now. They're, they're never going to be more than that. Think of Charles Kingsford Smith if you think of that. Here's the second thing, okay? So this is, this is the other side of the tension that I feel as I try to preach. And I'll probably preach a little bit longer. I actually said I'd preach smaller, but we're going to have plenty of inter, in, interact, interactive in-room exercises. So Jared Wilson, he's a uh, pastor of a 15,000-member Harvest Church. So you know Greg Laurie? Many of you would have heard of Greg Laurie. He's one of, he was one of the, the pastors there. So you can see what I've put up there on the left. He became a real mental health sort of advocate, was very raw about his own struggles with mental health. And he, that's his tweet site there, your life matters. And then here's this tweet, loving Jesus doesn't always cure suicidal thoughts. Loving Jesus doesn't always cure depression. Loving Jesus doesn't always cure PTSD. Loving Jesus doesn't always cure, what's that one? Anxiety. But that doesn't mean Jesus doesn't offer us companionship and comfort. He always does that. This ties into Tim's song. Sometimes you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray and it's not taken away. It, it, it ties in the Ben and Camille story. Ben last week shared so eloquently being up the ladder and hearing of another panic attack that poor old Camille had had in Kmart. And he's like, take it away. And he didn't, as far as we know. But let's not give up hope. Um, so here, here, here that, that, that tweet goes out and many of you, does anyone, has anyone not seen this? Who hasn't seen it? So everyone's seen it. It's incredibly sad because the very next day he committed suicide after that tweet. Which brings me to the next question, which is what if we belittle mental suffering and we just take the old can of harden up and go, here you go, sunshine. Here's your can of harden up, you know. Or if we go, what, what's wrong with you? Like, especially when it goes on and on and on. And it's so easy to go, what's wrong with you? And, and get impatient with people. This is something that we should all struggle with in ourselves, particularly those of us who maybe don't struggle as much with mental health. Maybe some of us who have been high achievers, some of us who have been quite um, accomplished and we look down on other people, be very careful. What if we belittle it? It's something that is real. It's just as real as a broken leg. It's just as real as a ruptured kidney. It's just as real as heart disease. It's just as real neurologically. Uh, many of the problems I think around mental health are because we've got the outer voice and the inner voice. Okay, so the outer voice is tweeting stuff off, and, and Jared was quite open. I actually am thankful for his openness. But even he had this disparity. You know, clearly, he was really struggling, really struggling. And oftentimes, we want to compare our own inner voice with other people's outer voice. And so I began thinking about you, thinking about your inner voice wondering what your inner voice might be saying right now or other times. And again, I just wanted to thank Camille because I think we've seen her inner voice quite often. And as I said, it's a precious gift to us. So I was inspired by you, Camille, and I thought, I'm going to share some of my inner voice stuff. So everyone looks at Parky Lumberjack, you know, this battlefield helicopter pilot and instructor, rescue pilot, stand up in front of you many times to preach, have people over to my gym and make them vomit. They make themselves vomit. It wasn't me. <laughs> um, you know, jokes about chainsaws with my son-in-law, all that kind of stuff. But maybe I should share some of the inner voice and, you know, Kerry can probably affirm a lot of this stuff. We pilots have an awesome 
out of voice. We're trained to have a bedside manner, just like doctors. Um, you know, things can be turning terribly and going terribly wrong in the aircraft, and, but the inner voice is still calm. And out, the outer voice is like, ah! No, inner voice is, ah! Out, in, uh, no, yeah, outer voice. You understand. You so say, you're with me. So you're so gracious. You could have, like, you could have pummeled me there. Anyway, so I just wanted to share some inner voice things. So first of all, when I was a young adult, uh, I had a terrible time where I broke up with my girlfriend. I didn't know what I was going to do. I ended up back at home. And I remember this one night where I reached over and I had a big knife that I'd bought when I watched Rambo, you know, his survival knife. And I literally thought, I'm going to hurt myself tonight because the pain was so great inside that I wanted it to stop. Instead, when I reached out, I touched these cassette tapes. And I've told this story many times. Ended up getting the baptism tape where my grandfather had promised that no matter what would happen in the future, that even when I felt I was far from God, no, I am with you until the end of the age. And that stopped me from cutting myself or hurting myself. But it was real. On pilot's course... Every single night, I would struggle with this overwhelming sense of doom, anxiety. I can't do this. I can't pass this. I'm failing. Other people were getting four out of fives. I was getting ones and twos. Then on pilot's course in Canberra, I was ducks. I'll talk about that a bit later. But while I was in Tamworth, terrible. Then... Even more recently when Grantham floods and everything happened and we were having all the trouble at the church, you know, to, I remember saying to Kerry one day, I just, I just want this, whatever it is inside, to be turned off. If I could find the, the switch to my emotions and just turn them off, this would be so good. But that wasn't meant to be. And, of course, it was like care flight, Grantham, a lot of stuff going on, uh, flying for the Army as well, a lot of conflict, Aircraft weren't being used as they ought. And this tension building, building. And oftentimes I felt like whatever it was inside me was actually just about to go and break. And I felt like I was right on the edge of it many times. And then, or, or standing on the edge of an abyss and just literally about to fall in. Now, I'm not trying to say that, you know, hey, I suffer like Camille or other people here, but I just want to say that it's, it's been there. And now I see it, I guess, in my family as well my dad in particular and I just wanted to share some of that with you because in myself it comes back to these two questions what if we belittle mental suffering what if I go oh, just harden up sunshine or what if we pathologize and go you know what that's all you are now stop doing what you're doing just basically be a mentally ill person so these are the two things I think, and the two temptations and perhaps the two temptations, yeah, the two temptations where, where I could be tempted when I'm accomplishing a whole heap towards prideful power or when I'm really struggling with some of this stuff to anxious defeat where that's just, that's who I am. Don't talk to me. I'm not coming to church anymore. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. You know, these are the two sides. Um, does, does, this, does this seem fair so far? Cool. Cool, because I can see all the people that actually really struggle with this nodding, and I'm really thankful for that. Um, so I thought to myself as I struggled with all this stuff, what does the operations manual say, i.e., what does the Bible say? And oftentimes when I'm thinking through something like this, it'll just be a verse that comes to me or, or, or a, a scripture excerpt. And the one that came to me was, three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away. Does anyone know where that comes from? 
Paul, one of our greatest apostles. We will not probably even be here if it wasn't for Paul going to the non-Jewish peoples. We wouldn't even have probably half the Bible because half of it's his letters. And he pleaded with the Lord. He prayed with the Lord about a particular thing. And so you might want to open up in the scriptures with me to what is, I think, a fairly well-known verse, but maybe not really that well understood. It's a little bit weird. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. Now, while we're turning, let's just, those, uh, who do we have? We had Addy, we had Kaya, we had Paxton. Maybe just think mentally how you can get a few more reps out because we want to try and get better and better. Now, I know there's different weights, but look, it doesn't matter. This one's, this one's blue and these are pink uh, and these are, this is a lighter shade blue. So what's it matter if they're kind of different, different weights? Doesn't matter, does it? I think it matters. Does it matter, Addy? <laughs> it's very good. You're very upbeat about this. So 2 Corinthians 12 verse 7 says, this is Paul speaking, and I encourage you to read the rest of 2 Corinthians, particularly this passage, to keep me from being conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. So he's talking about all the things God had shown him. There was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, this is Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul says something very strange. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And this is why I, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, when I am weak, then I am strong. So what he's saying is, I embrace my difficulties. I embrace my struggles. I embrace the insults, the hardships for when I am weak, I am strong. Now, straight away, this raises all sorts of things. And again, you could go either way with the two temptations. You could go, see, see, look at Paul. Look what he does. You just need to harden up like him. That's not what he's saying here. You completely miss the point if that's what you think. Or you could go the other way. See, see, he's weak. Just leave him there. Just let him suffer. But th- this is not what's happening here. There's a symmetry to all of the word. And when you read all the word, you get that symmetry. So the first thing, I just three things that grab my attention. I just want to share the first one. First one, the word weak, weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness in verse 9. And then verse 10, I delight in weaknesses. This is a Greek word, asthenia. And the A means without. And the uh, stenos sten, is, is the, where we get our word strength. So when he says weaknesses, A, without strength, I delight in my without strengths, my de-strengths, or without my abilities, my de-abilities, my, that's where we get the word debilitation from. He's literally saying, and, and you, you miss it a bit with the English, because weakness doesn't have the same kind of connotation, you just feel weak, you know, no. What he's actually saying is, I have been debilitated. I'm making up words, but you get them, don't you? De-strength, depowered. That's what I'm embracing. So he's not embracing weaknesses we understand in English. He's embracing this lack of power, this, this power that's been taken away, this ability. You can imagine it, in a physical sense, if I chopped an arm off, you would lose the arm and there'd be the suffering of having lost the arm, but there would also be the suffering of, I can't lift things the same way anymore. I have been de-abilitated. So there's a mental struggle with every single physical affliction you can think of. Think about it. Anything. Heart disease, broken leg, kidney problem, 
there is a deability in that. So when we try to separate out strength uh, or you know, the physicality of suffering and the mental side of suffering, the Bible doesn't do that because they're always together. This is what makes this next verse very, very interesting from this perspective, which you would have heard many times. From, and it's quoted in Isaiah, but then Matthew quotes it about uh, Jesus. And he says, so what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. He himself took our weaknesses. Who am I talking about here? Jesus. He himself took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. Maybe in your Bible it would say infirmities. It's this same word, astenios. He himself took our de-strengths, our debilitations, our depowerments, our decapacitations, and he carried our diseases. Again, you see this, this mental side to the physical side. So when Paul says, quoting what he's heard from Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. He is literally saying, I may be de-strengthed, but now I will be re-strengthed with the strength of Christ. And notice how grace and power are just used interchangeably. He says, my grace is sufficient so that Christ's power. They're just used almost in the same way. So this is like a grace power. It's not just a whimsical kind of yeah god forgives you for stuff or god is good to you it's actually a grace effect a grace power we've talked about this in previous sermons it's a grace power in our powerlessness all right where's my where's my where's my burden carriers where's my dumbbell lifters all right paxton out you come kaya all right we've got the timers all right we're going to get this one done pretty quick oh you want to lift the heavy ones this time well, that is very nice of you, Kai. You are now carrying Addie's... I did not intend for this to happen, so you guys are such an awesome church. You're now carrying his burden. You're sharing his burden. You've just given us a lesson. Thank you. High five. Come on. <laughs> Woo. And you've got lovely pink dumbbells now, Addie. Love it. And you've got nice light blue ones. All right, here we go. So we're going to count. Uh, ready? On three, two, one, go. Wow, look at that he got. Wow, Addy, you're all over us now. I reckon you do more when you poke your tongue out, Addy. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Paxton had his tongue. Is that 10 seconds? All right, stop there. Were well, you just going to let him keep going? Oh, yeah. All right, so how many did we get that time? 11. Much better. Oh, well, well we, can, we could do some maths. And... All right, now, thank you so much. So we'll put them back down for now. We're going to do one more round, and then I'm going I'm to bring something out. So you, 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 are, you don't realise this, kids, but you are actually living sermons right now. Yeah, go ask your dad about that later, or your mum, or both. Um, so the second thing, the first thing was this idea of what weakness is. The second thing is that grabbed my attention is, what is this thorn? I mean, you all wonder that, don't you? And if you look at your commentaries, don't look at them now, but if you look at them later, you'll see all this uh, theorizing about what the thorn is. So in verse 7, it says, to keep me from being conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, in the Greek word, it could also be a stake. So when you think of the thorn in the flesh, which has actually entered into English language, you know, the thorn in my side, 
Um, it could be a stake, a stake in my side, a stake in the flesh. And then somehow, we don't know exactly how, but Satan is inside of it. So this demonic power, this malevolent power is inside of it, just making it all the worse. Um, and what's really interesting when he says sent to torment me is that it's this idea of the, the Greek word of being struck, being slapped, being cuffed. You know, have you ever seen someone give someone a backhander like that? That's what's happening to him. And then it's in the present tense, so it's actually just ongoing. And it's been ongoing for years. Not just days, not just weeks, but years. Years of being hit, struck, you know, figuratively, metaphorically speaking, just on and on and on, over and over and over again. And he prays. He prays. And again, it would have been when he says a thorn in my flesh, uh, again, it's this idea that it was something not just the, 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 the suffering, but, but the debilitation of that. Remember, he was a missionary. He wanted to be able to just charge on to new frontiers for God. And yet something was debilitating him, decapacitating, de, de, you know, taking away the weakness. You know, I was talking to Camille and I asked her about this and she said, yeah, look, I love to cook. And sometimes this is taken away from me because of the, the anxiety. Paul struggled with that too. And it went on and on and on. And it's really interesting because he says he prays three times and I just love commentaries because often they'll say things and you go, oh yeah, and then you'll go, that sounds dumb and then it'll make you think of something else. And I shouldn't say that because, I mean, these people are way more intelligent than me, but, but basically they said, oh, you know, Jewish tradition was to pray three times. It's like, I don't think that's what's happening here. I think what's happening is you think about Paul, he's like, he's prayed for the, the, the dead to be raised successfully, Eutychus. He's, he's prayed for people to be healed and they've been healed. He's prayed that a ship wouldn't be, you know, all the people wouldn't be lost on it. Yeah, he's, he's prayed all, and I reckon he's like, ah, oh, when it first comes, whatever it is, thorn in the flesh, right, let's pray, get this done. Right, Lord, take this away. What? Uh, still there? Uh, this is not right. I, I, oh, I'll try again. Second time we'll do it. Uh, Lord, take this away. What? What? It's, it's still there? Uh, th- three times, three times. <laughs> it's a good biblical number. Let's go three. Third time, and he still has the thorn in the flesh. He still has the... He still has the torment. He still has. And at this point here, what he does is he goes, there must not be a God anymore. And he gives up. And what he does is he pathologizes himself and goes, I am now a victim. I am now weak. And he never does anything else. How come you guys aren't yelling out blasphemy or something? (laughs) (laughs) And I don't mean to make light of it, but I want to bring out that point to show that that is sometimes how we can easily fall into that temptation. No, no, no. And, and don't get me wrong. He, he's crying out. He's, like, he is really struggling. But there is something else going on inside him that refuses to let him just have, th- have that as the final word. So what is the thorn and what is happening? We don't know exactly, but as I thought about it, we know that a thorn is first mentioned in the Bible in Genesis where we are told... That cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. So what a thorn does when it comes up, like the parable of the sower that we heard not so long ago, it actually chokes out other things. So not only is it a painful thing, but it chokes out other things. Again, this idea of depowering or debilitating you. I'm starting to push these new words a bit too far, but anyway. Um, and what he's saying is, hey, here's this thorn. Here is this suffering of some sort, and I reckon God has deliberately kept it to be fairly generic so that you would know that in this fallen world where there are thorns, each of you has a suffering of some type. 
and it comes in and maybe many times you try to ask for it to be taken away and it's not. But this thorn now stands in for anything that you would have that would be debilitating, depowering. So this leads me to the third thing that I wanted to share because it doesn't have the final word. My power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul embraces this weakness and he says paradoxically that actually when he is weak, he's actually very strong. And he's not even in the Greek saying, you know, despite my weakness, he's actually saying in the weakness, that is where God does his best work. And it's almost like, actually, I'll get to that point in a minute. Let me just read. My grace is sufficient for you, verse 9. For my grace power, I'm paraphrasing, is made perfect in weakness. So this idea of perfect, it's not quite the right word. It just means telos, which is it accomplishes its goal. It accomplishes its complete goal. It takes you to the end, the goal. We we put in perfect because that's the closest English word we can think of. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's grace power may rest on me. So this is, this is not futile weakness. This is not pathologized weakness. This is not weakness that just has no point, no ending. It actually has an agenda for you. And it's hard to hear, but God allowed this thorn so that he might accomplish something better than if you didn't have the thorn. And what it does is what this, what our physical weakness or our mental weakness or whatever, what it does is in that, it's, it's almost like, this is how I think of it. I think of our own weakness, um, this experience that we're having as boring out, contouring out within us a Jesus-shaped hole and it's boring out this hole inside our chronically diseased self-strength. I'll say that again. It is boring out, contouring a large Jesus-shaped hole in our chronically diseased self-strength. So our self-strength, you go, no, no, I feel pretty strong. No, no, it's aging. It's getting weak. It has limitations. Often it gets cranky. And what happens in these moments of extreme suffering or any suffering, long-term suffering, is there's a Jesus-shaped hole that begins to form. Now, we could fill it with other things. Or we could fill it with the living power and presence of God. And we will know that whatever that looks like, there'll still be the suffering, but then there'll be this, what Paul talks about, grace, power within us. And I encourage you uh, over this week to look in 2 Corinthians, all the times you see weakness mentioned and then see what's mentioned next to it. You'll always find weakness and power, weakness and strength. It's not defeatism, but it's not prideful power either. Now think about this for a minute, because Paul in the same letter talks about light and momentary troubles. And again, you might look at that and go, oh, he's belittling mental health or belittling suffering. No, No, he's not. He's doing the exact opposite. So in 2 Corinthians 4, from 14 onwards, he's talking about the glory of the gospel. You can read 2 Corinthians 4 later. And he says, because of the gospel, because Jesus has rose, because Jesus is the image of God, because Jesus has come for us, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus, in verse 14, from the dead, will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. Remember, this is the same letter that the the thorn is in. All this is for your benefit, in verse 15, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles 
are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Man, that's a great verse to memorise for people that struggle to preach to yourself, maybe. It doesn't always have an effect, but man, a lot of times it does. But what I want to focus on just now is for our light and momentary troubles. Now, I'm just going to you just stay there for a moment and get ready to go back to our original passage, but just stay there for a moment and let me read some other parts from this letter. When, when now he's talking about light and momentary troubles, okay? That's what he's called them. Let's have a look at his light and momentary troubles. So he talks about how when we entered the province of Asia, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. So he's talking to himself and fellow disciples that were with him. So that we despaired even of life. So he, th- he was in such despair that he just felt that maybe smithy type thing, I think I'm going to die. And he says, indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. See how he, he takes the weakness and then reorientates it on the gospel again? Re- reorientates it on God? It's this, there's this weakness in me and it's open to God. But listen to some of his light and momentary troubles. He talks about how he worked hard. He'd been in prison more frequently, flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times he received from the Jews, of the, the, the angry Jews at the time, 40 lashes minus one. Three times he was beaten. Once he was stoned where people thought he was dead. Three times he was shipwrecked. He's been constantly on the move, constantly in danger from rivers, Danger from bandits, danger from my own countrymen, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. I have laboured and toiled. I've been without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides all of this, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. I'm so glad he finished with that. He, he, he equates that, that depth of suffering, wondering what's going to happen to the church. Man, imagine if we had so many pastors like that. Whew, no wonder they loved him. But that, he calls all that stuff light and momentary. <laughs> like, if it was anyone else who hadn't experienced that, you'd have to say, shut up. Just sit down. You've got no idea. But you have to kind of get curious and deal with it because this actually happened to him. Death exposed again and again. Five times the 40 lashes, three times beaten with the rod, shipwrecked, on and on. Light and momentary troubles. And he says, though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly being renewed day by day, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. So, so don't get this wrong, okay? He's not actually downplaying your light and momentary troubles, your real troubles, your real suffering. What he's saying is there is actually something so glorious coming that it makes those things look light and momentary. So every time when you're in the depth of your suffering, you're having the worst anxiety day ever, worst depression day, I don't know, worst obsessive compulsive day or just other types of suffering, you go, this is pretty darn bad. What on earth could be so good and so glorious that would make this thing look good? Or make it look not so much good, but light and momentary. It must be something pretty darn glorious. Doesn't make suffering smaller. It actually makes what is to come bigger and beautiful. So I want to take us to Jesus and then I'm going to take us to some things that I have observed in my own life that have helped me. So I take us to Jesus, and funnily enough, we find a thorn again. Actually, no, we don't. We find a crown of thorns. So Jesus didn't just take a thorn in his side. He took a crown of thorns pressed down into the flesh and the bone of his skull. He had this crown of thorns pressed brutally down, 
let's read. I'll just read it to you. And um, Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns. And I'm told that this was, these are big, ugly, bad boy thorns, like terrible thorns, not just your little kind of rose thorns from the vegetation around at the time. They clothed him in a purple robe and they went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said, Look, I'm bringing him out to you. I find no basis of a charge against him. And then Jesus comes out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to him or said to them, here is the man. Now, we all know as we read that he well have would have said he could have said if he was being utterly truthful. And that it's deliberately ironic. It's deliberately it's a literary device to be ironic because we're all reading. And we who are his followers know that he could well have said, here is God. <laughs> Imagine that. Here is God who has literally disabled himself. Just think about this with me. He has divine abilities, divine power, divine strength, omniscience, omnipotent. And in Philippians, we're told about the kenosis, which is the empty. He was read at Esty and Gabby's wedding. He made himself nothing, which literally means he emptied himself. We could easily say he disabled himself. He took away his raw thermonuclear power and said, I will be disabled. He, so, so this is why Paul's so big on the weakness, because he's just contouring Jesus' life, which was a life of this strength, this power, disablement. It's a parody of power. Ben let us into it so well. It's a parody of power. Not a, not a, not a, donk, not a, not a war horse. A donkey, not a beautiful jeweled crown, a crown of thorns, a purple robe. And not a throne, but a cross. Jesus decisively embraces his own disability. He did not consider equality with God something of a grasp, but made himself nothing. And you know what? You again see the symmetry of this. You don't just see him belittling that suffering in the garden. What does he say? What does he say in the garden? Take the cup away. Take, take the cup away. I don't think he would have said, please take the cup. I think it would have, please, Lord, if it is your will, take this cup of suffering away. And the answer was no. The answer was no. And he knew and God knew that in that short-term suffering, that short-term suffering was going to be recontextualized into something glorious for you and for me. Relationship with God Life everlasting with God. How, how wonderful. I put here, wow, I love you. <laughs> I don't know why I wrote that, but I just like, I love you. But, but again, here's the symmetry. It's not just, well, what an inspiring story. And he's in the tomb now, and we should all learn from that because, you know, even though he really suffered, he, 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 he was strong to his ideals to death. No, no, that's not the Christian story. The Christian story is that. They're just middle chapters. The final chapter is... Three days later, having got inside weakness, disability, suffering, he burst out. He's broken it apart once and for all. And now we all get to enjoy that. Which brings us back to the original question. What if we belittle mental suffering? What if we pathologize ourselves? How do we avoid prideful power and arrogance, but also the belittlement of mental suffering and any other type of suffering? When we remember Jesus, we have to remember Jesus. 
We have to remember what he did, how he embraced suffering, how he also embraced the suffering of others. He never belittled their suffering. In Roman times, it was easy to belittle people and go, well, you've displeased the gods. Even in some religions around the world now, it's easy to actually belittle suffering, go, well, you did some stuff in a past life. You're paying for that now. Bad luck. So I want to share with you what is probably one of the quintessential verses for me for this and for all of life which is john 15 4 and he says this is jesus speaking he says abide in me and i'll abide in you no branch can bear fruit by itself it must remain in the vine neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me so in oneness with jesus we approach our suffering in this oneness psychologists actually call this connectedness so it's a bigger bigger word that you might hear in some psychological circles this day, and they will tell you that connectedness is just about everything. Connectedness oftentimes is what causes a lot of mental illness, mental health issues, or a lack of it, I should say. So our real fight, if we want to call it a fight, our real challenge, our real pledge in life should be, how do I abide in Jesus? How do I maintain this oneness? Because clearly he is warning us that this oneness can actually, at least maybe for a time, be taken away when we get caught up in other things. Otherwise, he would not even bother having these words here. So these are, these are hopeful words, but they're also very, very important words. And so I want you to go away from here and pray about what does my connectedness look, with Jesus, look like with Jesus? And if you do suffer in these ways that we've talked about, is to think about the times when it's happened, but actually don't just think about the time that maybe you've had a really bad attack or whatever, but think back to the week before, the months before, and this is what I've, I've tried to do in my own life over 47 years, and I've noticed all these things. They're not, I'm not a psychologist, right? But I've noticed these experiences that have helped me. And I actually texted James just before I came, and he, he answered me, and I said, hey, what do you, what's your technical term for the things that, you know, build resilience and strengthen mental resilience. And he goes, well, we call them protective strategies. But he said, we're trying to get away from the protective strategy idea because, again, it's this idea that there's this thing that you have to be afraid of and you're pathologizing the weakness again. It's, it's all in that connotation. So he said, oh, he made a joke about some PhD student who might be able to help him with a new word. All I could come up with right now is connectives. These are connectives. These are, these are connective spaces. They're spaces within which my connection to God is, is more tangible. Or my connection to other people. So I'm just going to go through them. And if you'd like to hear them later or if you want a list, you can come and talk to me. But I want you to um, think about these connectives, these connective spaces that you may be uh, not existing in your life or compromised in your life for various reasons. And then just get really curious about where your mental health has been at that stage. This may or may not be helpful to you, okay? I actually added a few since coming to church today. Uh, some from Alan, some from, I think it was Luke. He didn't know it, but I did. Again, I don't, I don't have therapies for you. These are not therapies. These are life experiences that actually help us abide in God and abide with each other in a sense. So I remember at the end of Pilot's course, kneeling down, having nearly failed, being at Fairburn, really happy because I was with Kerry again. Uh, Fairburn was where we did our helicopter training. I remember kneeling down and going, oh, okay, I can't do this anymore. This is just too much. And I felt immediately in that moment a sense of release. And I ducked that course 
And I'm not saying this as a victory thing because for some there won't be victory right now. But I don't want to give up on victory either because that's the other temptation. Anyway, let me share these with you. First of all, the first connective space is someone hold up a Bible. Thank you. Everyone hold up their Bibles actually. Just hold it up. Or your smart device. It's not quite the same, is it? This word, this rugged, rough, gritty, earthy, in your face, gentle like a breeze, scary like a lion, truth of God. And he's rugged, rough, gritty, earthy, in your face, gentle like a breeze, scary like a lion, love for us. All my life, ever since I was young, that book has been my book. Even now, I'm not saying this to say, hey, look at me. I'm saying this has helped me so much. And not just the words. I, I memorise a lot. Memorisation's an awesome thing. But the contours of the stories, the feelings, the nuances, the, the impressions, they're all in me. They've all become one with me. And they've helped me so many times. My arms will go up in praise. Or it'll just be a gritty, just keep going because of this word. If you don't have that as a connective space, I encourage you, please, consider. Have it. Get it. Do what you have to. There's many ways you can do it now. In the car, listening to it. The next one, the next connective space is, I was just going to say prayer, but I'd say prayer, prayer please, as in please for help. Just praying. I can't do this. I need you. I don't know what to say to this person. I don't know what to do. I feel this feeling. I need you. Praying, 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 praying. It reorientates you. Praying God's word. This is another connective space. It's been so essential. This one, prayer praising. What we see in the scriptures, and I found this in my own life, you do not feel like praising God. You do not feel like saying words of love or adulation to God. But you just do anyway. Psalm 86, 11 says that they who offer up a sacrifice of thanksgiving prepare the way, they honour God and they prepare the way so that they might show, be shown the, the salvation of God. So, so the idea is you're honouring God because there's still so much to be thankful, even though the thankfulness gland is broken right now, you're still honouring him with this, with, this, with this reliance on him, this willpower thing, I'm just going to praise you. You just start singing a song. My opera did this when he was dying from... Leukemia would often sing, lost his voice, began to whistle. Church gatherings are another connective space. So I have come to church tired, bored, wondering what I'm doing here, uh, critical, judgmental. And I've done that regularly. Just, I don't know why, I just have. I don't say it, look at me or whatever, but in that something has happened, not just to me, but to my family. Just simply coming regularly. This is a strengthener, a connective space that, that is somehow, even in the annoying days, and you come home and go, oh, what was that all about? Somehow has built resilience within me. God's so smart. I don't know exactly how it works, but it's there. Now, I'm not saying do that in an unhealthy church. You need to get out of an unhealthy church. But make sure you know what a healthy church looks like in the first place. It's not just cool songs and an awesome, awesome worship band. It is connectedness with other people. Maybe this should be your, your test. If you haven't gone to church and seen someone have a panic attack, you're not in the right church. <laughs> no, seriously. Look, if you haven't gone to church and seen someone highly anxious, someone depressed, someone get up and sing a song of lament, maybe, maybe you're not in the right church. 
Maybe you should come to Willow. <laughs> <laughs> you guys ready for the last round? I'm nearly there. I can see you. Yeah, this, this is going to be good. Um, <clears throat> I've read a lot. Books, stories, and sorry, Alan, fiction as well as non-fiction. I've been inspired by great stories, noble stories. Philippians tells us that we should... Focus our minds on things that are true, true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Now, you can see some awesome fictional stories, but also non-fictional stories. Reading, just get outside your own envelope. Stories, I love stories. When I, I've cried in films, I've cried in stage productions of Mary Poppins, I've, I've TV. These have all been things that have inspired me. Uh, recently, I've discovered the gut brain. Recently, I've discovered that oftentimes I feel absolutely rubbish because it's what I'm eating. This isn't the only thing, but it's there. Uh, our gut has more neurons in it than a cat has in its head. Your, your gut is more of a brain than your cat's head. It might explain a few things. Um, it's the same tissue, and that's why we feel things down here. And many times you feel like absolute rubbish, it's just because you've eaten rubbish. And I'm not saying go on some crazy diet, but maybe just pray about that. The mental health implications of what you eat. Sleeping. So many of us are on the screen right into the night. And then we're like waking up cranky. We haven't had enough sleep. There is clear research that shows sleep. Um, it has a big effect on our, on our strength, our mental strength. I know that myself when I was doing shift work. I really struggled. Some of us have to do it. Um, others don't. Be really smart with your sleep. Again, I, I love my sleep. <laughs> I mean, there's just something about it, isn't it? When you put your head down, it's just something, ah, oh, so good. So I know some might struggle with sleep. So if you haven't already, go and get help from a professional. Uh, exercising. Talked about this before. But not just exercising. When I'm exercising, I'm praying. I'm praying a lot. I'm talking to God. He's giving me ideas. We're, we're relating. It, it's so good. Just getting outside into the blue sky. Or sometimes into the rain. I used to run a lot in the rain. Initially, it's a bit uncomfortable. But then it's like, wow, this is so exhilarating. These are all connective spaces where I feel the tangible presence of God and where I, and I know my mental health is being made strong again. And I've put up here this bar of life or this energy bar. And it's almost like there are things, and you can think about the things yourself that take away from you, but they, they, they put you down into the red. But then these things get you back up into the green in terms of your resilience levels. Friends, had an awesome friend called Andrew Jones. We just stay up into the night talking about stuff during some of those really depressed days. Then Kerry, we can talk about so much together. Family, you know, love mucking about the family. Maybe I should put teasing down here, but got to be careful with teasing. Although I have seen some research that shows that teasing is actually, if you're teasing someone, but not actually demeaning them, then it is... Uh, it, it, it soothes the limbic system, which, anyway, I don't know. Going on. Uh, I didn't have teasing in. Stripe teasing. Music. You know, people laugh about Petra, Stripe, Unso, but read their lyrics. These are strong, victorious lyrics. Um, and there's many cool songs these days, too. Dancing. <laughs> there's something about dancing, isn't there? I mean, when the kids were little, I'd grab them and swing them around, and we had a favourite song, and you don't. Actually, one of my... You know where I'm going, Tim. He called my dancing at the wedding an abomination. <laughs> but, but, 
But I actually felt good about that because the way he said it was a nice teasing way. So um, I had the moves down. I had the moves. Uh, writing, poems, stories. There's a whole field of psych research into bibliotherapy, I think it's called, writing. So if you're a writer, Kat, I know you're, you're a writer. Keep writing. Ben, keep writing. Write cool stuff. Share it with us. Um, sports. Kajua Football Club. Wow. What an awesome club. <laughs> Back in the day, in the late 80s, go there, kick the ball around, have sausages and stuff at the barbecue, camaraderie, um, fitness. So, so awesome. These are all the things that have made me who I am. I don't, actually, I don't think with all these things, and, and I, I see them as all as gifts from God. They're not, they're not like separate from God. And then the final one, which has recently been such a blessing, is trained professionals. Trained professionals, people who've studied this their whole life, who are also my friends. And I want to put out a call to anyone, maybe young people later on. I want to put out a call that if you've got an interest in mental health, that you go and do a psych degree, do all the training, and you consider what that might look like to be a psych who can become someone's friend as well. It's such a powerful experience. This is a real call for Christians to be kingdom professionals in this field. And I've really been blessed by that. So these are all the things, and you could probably add other things, but these are all the connective spaces, the strengtheners, the enhancers, the thing that puts your bar back up into the green. Notice they are all connective things. They are connecting me to God, helping me to abide, and then they're connecting me with other people as well. So I thought you might just be curious about some of the things that might be interfering with that. That's a smart device. We know that since 2007, statistics and research show us that there have been accelerating mental health issues. We know that young people get cars later, have sex later. We know that um, young people get jobs later since 2007. It is a statistical pattern. So whatever is happening out there with a smart device, it may well be interfering with these connectives with God and with each other. And I actually use my smart device all the time, but you need to seriously get curious about how that might be affecting things. And also with the advent of Netflix, streaming TV, TV on demand, exactly what you want to write, the hours on that are going up, up, up. Notice I don't have the stories and film. That's just one small part, but there's a lot of stories and film that will bring me back down in the red. You just got to turn that stuff off. Round three. Let's finish off this sermon. Let's bring it home, kids. Wait, I'm taking your burdens away. Give me, give me your burdens. Give me those burdens. I don't care if they're pink. Some people's burdens are pink and look pretty and they're still burdens. Let's put them over here. Actually, you know what? Let's put them over here. Then we can see them all scattered about the communion table. That's what Jesus has done. He's taken our burdens. You don't want to keep it, Paxi. You want to, you want to get maximum reps now. Now notice, if you use these, for say a month or three months or three years, what's going to happen to your biceps? I did that so everyone can see how big mine is. <laughs> They're going to get massive. And do you know what's going to happen when I then take the biceps away? Oh, biceps, no. No, no, no. We're not doing that. When I take the, the weights away, what do you think is going to happen, Addy? How many more reps do you think? Will you be able to do more reps or less? Way more. All of a sudden, you're going to be really strong. What felt like weakness 
and suffering has now turned into strength. <laughs> as strong as Hulk, exactly. I prefer Arnold Schwarzenegger. Have you heard of him? <laughs> oh, you're showing your age. So let's, let's get these timers happening, and we're just going to go for it this time. Ready? No, no, just still doing these. Yeah. Ready, set, go. I can't even count. It's a blur. Wow. A thousand, two thousand, three, three. <laughs> All right, stop and stop. Okay, I think you were 3,340, 3,340.1, 3,340.2. <laughs> okay, you can have that. Well, thank you. High five for everyone for helping me. And thank you for being a sermon today in itself. So obviously, um, all this stuff, this suffering, this weakness, this de-strength kind of stuff. Imagine in the kingdom, in the new kingdom, in the new heavens and the new earth, just how massive the biceps are going to be that you had. And you might have thought, hey, this was a massive thing. This was a massive sort of burden. Um, but just imagine in the kingdom how strong you'll be. So having said all that, symmetrically, we don't want to just pray, though, for companionship, say, of the Holy Spirit or for strength in your suffering. We never want to give up on praying for full restoration right now, for full healing right now for those that struggle with mental health or any other suffering. And we will continue as a church to pray. And I actually wrote a prayer, but given time, I won't go through it now. But it's a prayer for the weak. It's a prayer for the anxious. It's a prayer for the depressed. And I'd like to pray that over you with the elders, with olive oil, but not today, um, at another time. And so if that is something that you would like, please let us know and we'll come to your house or you can come to church here or whatever. And we'll pray this prayer, which, um, yeah, I think it's a powerful prayer that God has given me. And I would like to pray it for you with the other elders, as we're called to do in James. And what we're going to do now is we're going to finish off with a meal for the week. And what I'd like you to do, kids, is would you be able to, Addy, actually, um, would you be able to break the bread for us? Use those big biceps. Not keen. Would you mind if these two do it? All right, you can go and do it. But be now. So you want to do it slowly and respectfully because we are remembering Jesus who died for us. But I'm sure he would be very pleased to have you today remember him as Christians have for thousands of years. So in a minute, I'm going to tell everyone what communion is. And when you hear me say this is the body broken, I want Paxton. You can um, break it, and then Kaya, you break it again. Okay. So you break it once, and then you break it. Well, just, just, well, just gently. Yeah, right in half. Yeah. Because this helps us to remember how special Jesus is and how he has died for us, taken on all the burdens that we put here for us because he loves us so much. So let me pray first and then you're ready. You're ready to listen. All right, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to share with my brothers and sisters. Thank you for the encouragement. Thank you for the life that you've given us. I just pray that you'll really speak to each of us as we come now to remember you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, my brothers and sisters, those who suffer, those with burdens, those who are feeling more powerful, remember your weakness in Christ, but also remember your strength in Christ, which is represented by this communion table and this meal that we will now share together. So the bread is the body broken. Thank you, Paxton.
Might need some help. You want me to help you? Here we go. Oh, there you go. That's good. You did it together. This is the body broken for us. Yeah, when you've done that one, that one's fine. Thank you. All right, do you want to go grab a seat? <laughs> um, thank you, kids. Uh, this is Jesus' blood spilt for us. So in your own time, come forward and take note of the burdens. Take note of the great hope that is in those burdens, in those weaknesses. So come forward in your own time. <laughs>